The Incarnation is not a Christmas carol. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of January 3rd, 2021 from Christchurch, Jerusalem. On the second Sunday of Christmas, Rev. David Pelegi says, The voice of the Word made flesh, that in the beginning commanded light to shine in the darkness and created life, now calls each of us into the ultimate reality of a God who wants to dwell with us and to live in us. Sadly, many who affirm the Incarnation, the divinity of Jesus, and more have allowed these theological truths to become a substitute for the presence of the living God in our lives. We shall begin with a word of prayer. Your word is indeed powerful and mighty. Lord, it uh, accomplishes your will in this world, and it, uh, Lord, brings judgment upon the wicked, and uh, it uh, changes, transforms the righteous. We pray as we consider your word that um, you will um, reveal yourself to us. And enable us, Lord, to um, have a better, fuller understanding, even if it's just a, a little bit of what it means that the Word came and dwelt among us, became flesh. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, my goodness. <coughs> I think for years I've stayed away from this passage. Uh, for the simple reason that it's so overwhelming, right? It's so, so powerful. It's so pregnant with meaning. I don't know how one small sermon, even one of my long ones, you know, that go on for an hour or two, how it can do it any justice. And um, <clears throat> yet, as we um, wrestle with this passage, Really, we have to um, conclude, there's no other conclusion, that um, our faith, yes, and all that we believe, doesn't first and foremost rest on uh, the resurrection or the crucifixion or the giving of the Holy Spirit. It is dependent upon the incarnation, right? And if the incarnation isn't true, if I could paraphrase Paul, all of us are fools, right? We are, we're believing a, a fable or, or a fairy tale. So in some Christian traditions, especially in Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, the incarnation takes on an importance that perhaps equal to what we in the West place on the cross and the resurrection. And I in no means, I in, in no way want to diminish or demean the cross uh, and the resurrection. And not only is our faith built on this incarnation or this, rea this reality, this truth, I think those of you who know anything about Christian history know that there's been a long, long um, tradition, you might say, a long history of uh, how do we understand this? Um, why is it so easily misunderstood? Why is there in every generation confusion about the nature of Jesus? Yes, who he is, what he did. Yes, what his relationship with the Father is like. What his relationship to 
um, what is his relationship uh, to the church. And we strive, many of us, we've, we've uh, made an effort to ensure over the s- centuries, yes, that we have right doctrine, that we have orthodox belief, and we have orthodox practice. Now, I don't want to minimize that, because having right belief and right practice is absolutely essential. It is essential that we understand, yes, in a theological way, and in an intellectual way, who Jesus is, not who he was, but who he is, yes, what his relationship to God is like, um, his preexistence, yes, um, so on and so forth. And... Um, Oftentimes, we, uh, as a community, we substitute the theology or the belief or a creed, yes, for an incarnational reality. And again, I don't want to promote bad theology or say theology isn't important. I don't want to say the intellectual life isn't important. I don't want to say philosophy isn't these things are essential, but equally essential, yes, equally essential is an incarnational reality, right? Is that we experience in our daily lives, yes, the incarnation, not just at Christmas, but every day. What does the incarnation mean? Incarnation simply means, yes, that Jesus is with us and Jesus is in us that God is with us and with his people, and that, yes, he's not only with us, but he's even more intimate because by the Holy Spirit, he is in us. And if we forget that, we forget it at our peril. And Christianity becomes uh, a set of ideas and a set of theology or a theology and a set of, and a bunch of, a bunch of doctrine. Now, the I think the way to, to look at our text um, is to, and there are many ways, by the way, into this text. Whew, it's uh, like uh, jumping into the sea. But uh, the obvious way into the text is, of course, to open to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, it talks about God creating um, and interestingly, it doesn't say that God created from nothing. God created from something. So something is uh, already there. And of course, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And in some later Jewish uh, Bible commentary, the uh, Spirit of God here is um, uh, substituted for the Spirit of the Messiah. So something we'll come back to in just a minute. And the first thing that God said is, let there be light. Yes, let there be light. And only after there is light do we have life, right? So we have the pairing and the connection uh, very beautifully in Genesis chapter 1, the first creation account. We have this light and this life um, because when we go down to, um, I guess it's day three, it says, and God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, so on and so forth. Um, and then 
God then makes the lights, yes, and then after he makes the lights, he begins to make the the great creatures of the sea and the sky and uh, so on and so forth, and finally ends up, right, after creating life, creates uh, humankind, which uh, Psalm 8 reminds us is the pinnacle of his creation, even though we may not act like it as human beings uh, from time to time. And so we have, of course, John's account, a uh, very beautiful, beautiful uh, piece of um, poetry, a uh, very beautiful song, um, actually something so profound that, again, a sermon or theological explanation rarely does it justice. That's why sometimes when we're thinking about the creation or we're thinking about Jesus as being the word who's incarnate with, with the word who is with God from the beginning, sometimes it's only art or music that can uh, give us uh, a, um, you might say, a, a deeper appreciation for this reality. And ultimately, perhaps the deepest appreciation is that we experience the incarnation uh, ourselves uh, every day. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So just as Matthew and Mark, um, sorry, Matthew and Luke, uh, not Mark, uh, start with uh, a Jewish story, and we have the, uh, we have the context of uh, Jesus and how he fits into the covenant, uh, into the story of Israel with his miraculous birth and all the, the miraculous things that happened surrounding his birth, John's gospel goes back even further. Uh, it goes back uh, before creation. And it tells us, gives us a tiny hint that uh, we get further glimpses of in the gospel of John, but it gives us a tiny hint, yes, of not only who Jesus is, but what his relationship is like uh, with his father. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made. In him was life, and the life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So again, it picks up the key themes of uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, light, life, uh, darkness, uh, because while this is a, a beautiful story, yes, there's also going to be from the humans that God made, and he made us, may I remind you, he makes us not because he's lonely and he wants company or needs some pets. Yes, he makes us because it is an expression of his love. He creates out of love and he creates in order to bless us, according to Genesis, and or in order to give us life, yes, and to enter into relationship with us. Yes, that's the purpose of creation. Yes, the love that God has for the Father, sorry, the love that God has for the Son and the Son for the Father, it's out of that communion, it's out of that love 
that he creates us miserable, stinking human beings, at least at times, yes? And so uh, in God's love and God's goodness and God's creation, there is rejection, yes? Adam and Eve reject. They want something better. Somehow they're not satisfied. Uh, and by the way, it wasn't only the temptation of the devil. It was something innate, yes, there's, uh, in them and in us that uh, always looks for uh, grass, greener grass someplace else. There's always this hesitation this to, um, to, to um, put our complete trust in God and say he, he, is, he has um, his intention for me or his, his will for me is actually the best. So there's rejection, yes, uh, and... Uh, there's, you might say, a re, almost a return uh, to darkness uh, with the coming of death uh, into the world and sin, which begins to um, uh, have widespread impact on the human, on the human, on the human family. And of course, we read immediately in this passage in John, we read that in him, sorry, but the darkness did not understand him. He was in the world uh, and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yes, so it's the world and, of course, his own. So here we have an indictment or a statement, not only against the Jewish people, but against the world. You might say uh, the nations and Israel. Yes, many people indeed haven't recognized this light or they have not um, uh, they have rejected, just as we have in the creation story. Now, it's interesting, why does it say, or why is it that Jesus is identified, you know, as the Word? Because certainly in Scripture, yes, God's Word um, is very powerful, but it also seems that um, there's an identity with wisdom, and um, that wisdom that we read about in Proverbs chapter 8 um, is in part, I think, what generates uh, Jewish thought, and in particular, the thought of the, the early church as they, they encountered Jesus. And here in Proverbs 8, we have the personification of wisdom. Yes, wisdom is, becomes a person, usually a woman, a righteous woman. And this righteous woman says things such as the following. She says, um, the Lord brought me uh, forth. Yes, I'm reading from Proverbs 8.22. As the first of his works before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled into place. Before the hills, I was given birth. I was there when he set the heavens into place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. And when he gave the sea its boundary. So waters would not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth, 
Then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And by the way, if it's indeed, yes, the case that the early believers identified wisdom in this passage with Jesus, the Messiah, being the agent of creation. That's not, by the way, their idea was, uh, there were similar Jewish ideas or similar Jewish thinking around at the same time. Yes, a pre-existent Messiah. So if it is true, maybe we should take note of what the creation was like. The creation was... Um, as follows, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in mankind. Yes, meaning God is delighting with us. Isn't it, or wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said that God created the world by singing, right? It was such a joyful uh, act yeah, that, that issued forth from God, that he not he didn't only speak the word, yes, uh, but he sang the word. Now, if it's true, and we, we could develop this theme for a long time, if it's true that Jesus is identified uh, and the creation, is ident- uh, the creation is identified with wisdom, that wisdom was, again, a person who was there uh, at the beginning, why doesn't it say in our passage, in the beginning was wisdom, and wisdom was with God. Yes, be a really interesting question. I mean, there are um, pa- passages such, and we read one in our, our psalm today, but let me just read two. Certainly, um, um, so I'll read Psalm 147. He was chosen. More specific. It says he revealed his word to Jacob, right, by his laws and decrees. Sorry, I should back up. It says he grants peace to our borders and he satisfies us with the finest wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His worth, his word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Yes, he sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breeze. Um, he stirs up his breeze, and the waters flow. And this is partially in connection with a judgment on the wicked, as well as his control over creation. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this to no other nation, where they know his laws. And we could go, again, do a whole Bible study, not even a sermon, by his Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, um, where the heavens made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into his jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations and thwarts the purposes 
the peoples, but the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and so on. So you also have, yes, this idea of, of God's word, yes, being the, the agent of creation. But here, I think, is the, I think something that um, reveals the heart of Jesus, or you might say the character of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, as we see in John's gospel, maybe in all gospels would be fair to say. Yes, if you speak, yes, you always speak to an audience. Yes, you speak to others. Yes, and God, through Jesus, again, is speaking, not only creates, but he's speaking to us, and he's issuing an invitation. Yes, he issues an invitation. God's spoken word demands a response. It's not enough to say, oh, God created the world. Isn't that interesting? Or it's not enough to say that uh, Jesus was with the Father before the foundation of the world. And actually, yes, it was Jesus himself who was the, that agent of creation. He was that craftsman that we, were, we read about uh, in Proverbs. He was the one who was joyful and rejoicing with the Father as they made this incredibly beautiful world. Yes, and even after the world, even after we have uh, fallen, yes, the world is still beautiful and life is still amazing despite the fall. We still see God's handiwork. Yes, and the heavens are God's handiwork and the, the creatures of, of this world. And so it's that in that great delight out of love that, that God creates. But God, when he creates, he speaks. He speaks, right? So in order that there may be a response, that there may be uh, God creates so that there is a relationship and of course, we know that God came every evening to speak to Adam at the beginning of creation. And after Adam turned away, yes, God speaks again, he spoke through the Torah, but he, spoke, he speaks ultimately through Jesus the Messiah. And what's the invitation that he issues to us? That invitation is amazingly similar or amazingly connected to the first chapter of Genesis. And through John's gospel, yes, we have the passages. You're all very familiar with them. With them. But think of them, yes, in terms of Genesis chapter 1 and also in John chapter 1. And so, for example, yes, we have the voice. What does Jesus say in John's gospel? My sheep hear my voice. Yes, right? The voice that speaks. The voice that spoke at creation, yes, is still speaking to us today. It's still issuing an invitation. It's still waiting for a response, even though many of us have rejected or continue to reject, right? Uh, and what does it say? I am the light of the world. Yes, he who follows me, yes, does not walk in darkness, 
So we have the voice. We have light. And light, of course, without light, there was no life. And Jesus in John eleven twenty five says, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, yes, if you believe in me, there will you um, you will have eternal life. You will not die. Later in our passage of First John, it mentions it says um, yet to those who receive him. Yes, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Yes, and this is John's point, that this is not simply physical life that Jesus is offering, as important as that may be and essential as that be, but uh, there's another level of life, and this level is divine life. It is the life that he shares with the Father and the Spirit. And he has, his offer, his invitation is to bring us into, into that relationship. But of course, as I said last week, in the incarnation, there's an exchange. Maybe that's the best way, one way to understand this incarnation. Jesus comes and shares our life, yes, and overcomes, yes, so that we can share his life, Yes, and share in his victory. So it requires, on the part of Jesus, a humiliation and a sacrifice. And it says, by the way, in John chapter 1, it says, we beheld his glory. What is John's glory? What is glory for John in the gospel? His crucifixion, his death. His humiliation, yes, his uh, shame. John makes it very beautifully clear that the humiliation and the shame of Jesus is actually his glory. It's actually his exaltation. It's a beautiful reversal. The death of Jesus wasn't his worst moment. His death and resurrection was his greatest moment. And the early community says, we saw that. We, we witnessed that glory. Yes. But in order to be a child of his, see, in order to walk in the light, in order to hear the voice, in order to enter into eternal life, yes, there's an exchange. Something is required from us. And that response might be um, in John 1, if we believe, well, what does it mean to believe? To believe isn't, again, it's not something intellectual, but it's if we are willing to tr entrust ourselves to him. Yes, if we're willing to totally uh, give ourselves to him and allow him, yes, to, to take control of our life. So to believe means to stay with Jesus, to abide with Jesus, to trust with Jesus. And what does it mean if you walk, if Jesus is the light and if we follow him, meaning if we imitate him, yes, if we do what he does or live the way that he did, yes, then we are in the light. We're not in the darkness. 
It's not enough to say Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Nobody follows him. Yes, we're not very well illuminated, I would say. Or, you know, my sheep, you know, again, hear my voice and they follow me. Yes, it's God speaks, but we must respond. And again, if to have that eternal life, yes, it becomes entering into a relationship in which we surrender ourselves by trusting in him. So Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Again, the resurrection isn't just a doctrine, it's a person. I am the resurrection and the life, and it's by, again, putting our confidence in him, putting our trust in him, uh, abiding with him, staying with him, connecting with him, yes, being nurtured by him. That's where we have life. That's where we have light. That's where we hear the voice. And the, the, the goal of all this is not just to get to heaven. The goal of all this is to for each one of us to experience what um, our friend Leanne Payne calls, yes, which she took it from C.S. Lewis. So for those who stumble over Leanne Payne, I don't know, very few might stumble over St. C.S. Lewis, yes, is an incarnational reality. Again, this reality that daily reality that the Lord is with me and the Lord Jesus is in me by the Holy Spirit. And that's the most important reality in our lives. That's our most important identity. And next week we'll talk about identity and how to strengthen that identity or strengthen that strengthen that reality. It's not something that we can that we can do now. But sharing in this incarnational reality means that we share in his holiness. Yes. In uh, our lives begins we it begins a transformation. Yes. That we begin to have his patience and his love for people uh, and the joy uh, that he has for us. It's not something that we have to do on our own. Yes, the reality that Paul tells us, you know, I no longer live, but the Son of God lives in me or lives through me, really is that incarnational reality. And uh, whether it's by praying or listening to his voice or trusting when we don't think it makes humans it makes sense in a rational way these are all ways in which are many ways in which we practice yes that reality finally just again it has to go from a doctrine of orthodoxy that we fight about and again i don't i would like to stress it is indeed important if we read first john which is a commentary and a correction you might say on the abuses of John's gospel. It is important to have the right teaching. It is important to have the right idea. Yes, because Jesus, who's a savior, or who brings salvation, who brings us rescue, can't be anything less than divine. You know, I don't know how a human can save us. I don't know how a human can uh, 
another human being can give us, you know, the necessary hope or grace, you know, to 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 live in this life. Um, but it has to be more than a doctrine. Again, it has to be, you know, something that we're aware of every day. And it requires us to enter into it, to practice, you know, to make that response. To make that response so that the word becoming flesh and dwells amongst us isn't something that we only find on a Christmas card. Let's pray. Father in heaven, who we, uh, all of us are distracted and many of us have uh, attachments, you know, that uh, come before you. We have idols. We have things that uh, uh, we stumble over and get in our way. Lord, including our intellect. We do pray that you will give us, each one of us, grace to enter into the mystery. Yes, the mystery of, of your son, Jesus, and how he wants to dwell in our midst and wants to bring us blessing and ultimately to enter into relationship, not only by being close to us, but by being in us. We pray that uh, that truth Lord, will go deeper and deeper into the lives of us, to, into the lives of each one of us, and that every day you will remind us, yes, of that reality. And we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.